Liz Sumner, and this is I Always Wanted To, the podcast that asks, what are you doing or creating or trying now that you have the time? That someday you've been waiting for is here. guest today is city girl turned organic farmer, Jean Balamuth of Cook Hill Farm in Alstead, New Hampshire. When I asked my community how they were approaching this newfound time, Jean responded that she's decided to devote herself to full-time food farming, and I wanted to find out more. Welcome, Jean. Thanks. I feel very welcome. It's interesting to hear someone introduce me as a farmer. <laughs> oh, good. Well, we're going to find out more about that. So tell, tell me about creating a food farm. What's going to be different? I've been uh, working on the farm for oh, eight or 10 years, and I fall in love easily with any plant type flowers or you know trees or whatever. And uh, years of late, I have been really trying to grow a crop. I learned a little bit about permaculture, and one of their premises is to produce a yield. And that kind of stuck in my head. And at the end of every summer, which is pretty short, 100 to 120 days, something like that, I always said, did I produce a yield? And the answer is always yes. But technically, when I think yield, I think much larger than what I've produced. So last year was the first year I applied myself to actually say, okay, I'm going to grow 2,000 onions. Mm -hmm. And I set out to do it. And instead, I had 4,000 onions. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So instantly, instantly, my question was answered. Did I produce a yield? Yes. And that <laughs> kind of sent me into a kind of a spiral, actually not knowing what to do with all those onions. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so uh, it took me a couple of weeks to wrap my head around the vision of my field of onions now being drying in the barn, which took over an entire barn. And after a couple of weeks, uh, one of my friends came over and said, well, what are you going to do with these? And I, <laughs> I had to answer. <laughs> and I said, well, I guess... I'm going to set some aside for us and for our friends, and I'm going to sell the rest. But I had never done such a thing, so it was my first time actually having so much at, at my feet to sell. So I just filled up my Jeep and started going around to restaurants and farm stands and all over, and I came back with uh, an empty Jeep and a fistful of dollars. Oh, cool. Okay. So, and, so I never think about this, but so being a, a, a professional farmer means selling. I mean, it's not just uh, digging in the dirt and planting things. It's, it's getting money for what you have, you have grown. Yeah. And that's a whole other animal. I have not easily scaled up. I've always been, you know, six plants of this, seven plants of that. And so having thousands of something has changed my outlook to knowing that at least I can try, even if the crop fails, at least I can try to grow a crop. 
So before that, you were just growing for, for your family or, or? Yeah, basically family and friends. So uh -huh. um, I grew for us in our household and my extended family and, you know, local friends. And uh, I, I do a lot of what they call now value added foods. Uh -huh. So I do a lot of canning. I do a lot of recipe making and canning and freezing and that kind of thing. Okay, so in this newfound time period, are you doing it more, doing it with a more of a professional intention? How are you changing? Or, or, or if you're not, then are you just preparing for the summer season? What? Yeah, well, I must, I must say getting a fistful of dollars certainly is a great motivator. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, because uh, I call that my seed money now. Okay. So... Okay. If I can, if I can earn a thousand dollars and take that thousand dollars and now buy, you know, uh, asparagus roots and vegetable seeds and trees, well, now I'm building the farm even further. So my intention is to, I mean, that's how we started out was, you know, rebuilding an old farm that had become overgrown. So it's removing what you don't want and putting in what you do want. So, um, it's a very, very different mindset. And my mind goes back and forth. It used to be, oh, I've got so many tomatoes, I could sell them, you know, and it was a thought. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, last year was, I've got so many tomatoes, I better sell them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's a fresh thing, you know, and I canned a lot, but I sold a lot. And I have been able to, and it's with help, from people like you who are willing to talk about it a lot of people don't converse about plants or enjoy talking about plants i think it's something not everyone knows a lot about and mm -hmm. even even among my friends a lot of people you can see they just don't like to engage in the conversation about a specific thing about a plant that being said i love to talk about plants so when i find someone else who enjoys my enthusiasm of how celery grows or something um it it really bolsters me back to where exactly where i belong and i'm very happy here i'm growing what i want to grow i want to grow what we like to eat i want to grow what we enjoy eating and happily because i've got some acreage i've been able to expand that and even more happily on top of that, it seems like other people have enjoyed it too. So the growth is coming slowly, but surely. And I'm happier not thinking about what I should grow for what's popular in the market. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. happier growing for me and what I enjoy. And I always try something new. There's never, <laughs> there's never a year. Mm -hmm. ever that I don't try a dozen new things mm -hmm. just to see. And so how, how long have you been really seriously farming? Well, we incorporated the farm in 2011 and we tried to be sunflower farmers and that kind of went by the wayside because we don't have an organic press nearby and the only organic press only presses once a year. Uh, they have to clean everything down so have it certified organic and then they'll press and also there's the harvesting of sunflower seeds which is pretty labor intensive 
So we grow sunflowers for enjoyment and for seed and things like that, but we're not putting in another 20 acres of sunflowers anytime soon. It's just a lot of work that um, we haven't been able to figure out the end game with. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so we incorporated the farm, said, you know, what are we going to do with ourselves? So let's try to be farmers. We live on a farm. Let's try. Mm -hmm. And so we've been trying ever since. <laughs> and constantly opening some new ground to see how it grows. This has always been a farm. It's always been, you know, a beautiful market farm, but it's been overgrown for many, many years. So I don't really know what fields will grow, what crops. And I'm finding the wet areas, I'm finding the dry areas, I'm finding where there's rock ledge and only, you know, four inches of soil, can't grow much there. I'd say, if you have to be technical, we've been at it since 2011. What have been your biggest successes and biggest failures as crops? Haha, <laughs> successes. How do we term that? Let's see. Um, well, I must say the 20 acres of sunflowers was spectacular. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge success. I learned firsthand what a natural high is when you're in the middle of a field of sunflowers and they are golden and it's hot and the sky is blue. Not much better than that. We live in a pretty uh, rough part of rural New Hampshire, so it's not easy to get to us, and the road's a mess, and blah, blah, blah. And we're not set up to receive the public, but people make sunflower mazes and uh, farms like that, so it may come in the future. So the sunflowers were a huge success, enough so that we continue to grow them just on a smaller scale. And, you know, I've always had a garden, and we've always been able to grow. A little bit of food and so when I started opening up uh, rows for potatoes and planting like a hundred tomato plants uh, the game changed a little bit and depending on the weather we're dry farmers we can't irrigate we don't have a water source to irrigate depending on the weather and what's happening our success is are determined pretty much by mother nature. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm happy to diversify enough different things so that I always know something will grow. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I have no beans, well, gee, I've got onions. And there's always gonna be something that will work with the current weather situation. Um, and as far as failures, I've been trying in 2011, one of the inspirational plants that I tried and I'm still trying to grow and haven't succeeded is bilberry. It grows like a wild blueberry, but it's higher in antioxidants and it has trace minerals in it that is supposed to really help manage macular degeneration. Mm. Mm. And the juice is very expensive, but that's the strongest you know, fight against macular degeneration other than a medical intervention. Anyway, I have not been able to grow those little buggers. They are the tiniest little seeds, basically like dust. And I get the plants two or three inches high and I haven't been able to get them to winter over. So- Is I'm, anybody else in New Hampshire able to do that? None, I have, I tried to buy plants. Mm. I tried to find any other farm. It's almost like they hide away. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it may be as much. Um, over in Europe, they grow wild. They grow wild in the forests of Europe. So I don't know anyone. I, I stopped looking. After mm -hmm. a couple of years, I stopped looking for a farmer because mm -hmm. I wanted to buy plants. I was able to successfully find a seed saver exchange that had the seed. And the seeds grow well, and they transplant well. 
but they just don't come through the winter. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not all about uh, putting, you know, uh, man-made protective covers in place or anything like that. My motto is only the strong survive up here. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like high tunnels, hoop houses, uh, shade cloth, all, all the, all the modern conveniences. It's just not a, it's, I prefer just to let nature take its course. Yeah, tough Yankee plants. That's what you need. <laughs> yeah, that's what I need. And that's what I like. And, you know, that could change if I have to feed myself, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I may put some of those stop gaps in place. So I, I want to get back to your talking about plants with other people. Do you listen to podcasts? Are there plant podcasts? Should you start I'm, a plant podcast? Um, I don't know that it would be me, but I do. I'll tell you my, my absolute favorite, it's not a podcast, but my Johnny Seed catalog, uh, Johnny Seeds Online has a grower's library where you can watch their videos. And I trust them implicitly. And I don't, I don't sit in front of the computer at all, unless I have to, mm -hmm. really. I mean, it's not something I enjoy. So uh, I learned from local growers and going to their farms and seeing what they do. Uh, I really observe nature and see what's happening here in our forest and fields. Had a little bit of help with the USDA, Cheshire County Conservation District folks came and helped us with soil testing. I've been to a bazillion workshops uh, and some trainings, and I always ask questions. I always learn so much from uh, the presenters, and you know, listening to a lot of information you get a kernel of something that rings true and works for you mm -hmm. and you go home and you try it and it works. It's like, Oh yeah, this is great. So yeah, I am constantly learning mm -hmm. constantly. And what would you tell somebody who wanted to make the leap from just sort of gardener to professional farmer? What, what, what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about it? Uh, just to, soil test and find out what will grow and grow what you love because i mean okay we can always use tomatoes as an example they're very widely loved and all of us who love tomatoes when you've got a a, a warm tomato off the vine from mm. a tomato plant that you grew and you eat that tomato that's still warm from the sun there's really not much better on the planet if you're a tomato lover yeah and so and tomatoes are easy to grow if you've got this kind of climate. So grow what you love and have your soil tested and make sure you're not shooting yourself in the foot trying to grow tomatoes where there's absolutely no chance they're going to grow mm -hmm. or whatever. That's it. And start small. <laughs> what, was the, what was the best advice that you got when you were making the transition? My best advice that I got probably was from uh, the Permaculture Institute was to begin close to where you live and work outward from there. Because it was advice that I got after we had gone as far as we possibly could from the house <laughs> and opened up ground. <laughs> and then had to start, you know, we worked our way back and then started all over again. Mm -hmm. So if you're able to have your 
eyes on what's happening on a daily basis, able to give a little bit of water and food to something that you're growing because it's you walk by it 20 times a day, mm-hmm. you're going to have a success like right off the bat and you can grow from there. So yeah, stay, keep it close to home and small scale to start. And then, yeah, just make the decision to buy 50 plants instead of 20. Let's see how that goes. So what kind of help do you have? How, how many people are working your farm? Ha 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 Let me have a big laugh there. <laughs> uh, Michael and I are both retired. Uh-huh. And that's us. <laughs> so just two of you. Are, and how, many, how much space do you have in many acres? We've got over 100 acres, but not all of it is open farmland. We have a sugar bush and a forest, quite a bit of forest and possibility to have uh, nine open fields and we've got four. So that's, that has been uh, pretty much our limiting factor. Michael runs the machines, and I do the handwork, and it works out great. So I can point my finger and say, there, and he'll do it there, and then I come in and do my thing, and it works out great. And I know that a number of people around here have guest workers, people who come and and work in exchange for a place to live and room and board. Have you considered something like that? Well, we thought about it and we live in a farmhouse and it's really not set up to have guests. I mean, Mm -hmm. our, Mm -hmm. our kids lived here, but we have, we have expanded our lifestyle in our house to pretty much encompass the whole thing. Um, And we did think, and we do, you know, I shouldn't say we don't have any help. I do have friends and family that come and help. Like our, um, (laughs) when I realized after my very first day of harvesting all those onions last year, Mm -hmm. what I was up against, Mm -hmm. I put out pretty much an SOS for anybody willing to come and pluck these babies out of the ground. The good news is they were very easy to harvest. Imagine taking a rabbit by its ears and picking it up Uh that's how it feels to harvest an onion (laughs) you you grab it by the stem and pull straight up and it pops right out of the ground what kind of onions i grew walla walla sweet onions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i grew patterson storage onions Mm -hmm. i grew another onion called Sturon, which is a smaller storage onion and this year i'll grow probably a 50 50 mix uh, I grew mostly sweet onions last year, and they don't keep very long. You've got to mm-hmm. sell them fresh mm-hmm. or else they sprout. And the keeping onions, people are still calling me for them. Mm. Um, if I'd had more storage onions, I would have sold them. But as far as having help, friends and family will come when I call. I have a number of friends who like to do mm-hmm. <laughs> farm chores. Mm-hmm. So they'll come over and help me plant or dig or prune or something like that. But it's not a dependable, we're not that large scale. We can't afford to have farm labor at this point. Mm-hmm. That, maybe they'll put that on our goals list. It sounds as though the time it would take to find customers must keep you away from, from the actual farming. Tell me more about that. Or do you have a good network now that you can sell to? I have a very small network and it is an absolute joy open the back of my Jeep. I mean, this really literally happened to me. I opened the back of my Jeep. A chef reached in, grabbed an armload of onions, 
stood up with them, looked at me and he says, do you have more? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he says, okay, come on, let's talk. So he took his armload of onions into the restaurant and we talked and I have, I have gained great support from some really great chefs and restaurants. And so that's great. And then I have, you know, I grow from seed. I'm a seed farmer. And that's what energizes me is I start everything from seed. Mm -hmm. And it's my superpower. And thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, some other people recognize that. And they come every spring and they buy my plant starts. I sell them in newspaper pots, roll the pots, fill them with soil, and either start the seed or transplant the seedling into them. And that's how I sell them. But it's an energizing feeling when someone calls you at the end of the season and said, my Brussels sprouts are fantastic. They are so sweet and delicious. You know, I'm so glad I grew so many and they're in the freezer. I mean, that is what energizes me more than anything to just keep doing what I'm doing. Wow. And no, I don't, I don't have to go far and I don't have to go <laughs> with any trouble. We're not big enough to have a delivery truck or anything like that. And so I just, as a normal course of my life, I plan to get off the farm once a week, go shopping, out to lunch, whatever. And so a sales day works great. I start in the morning. I set up a schedule. I go see my chefs and restaurants and friends. Maybe I'll make a cold call along the way or somebody will recommend something else and I'll try that. It feels good to get off the farm and to come home again mm -hmm. with, that, with that fistful of dollars. Mm -hmm. Then I'm ready to get back to work for another week and look forward to the following week. We're not that big, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not like we have a, a crowd or anything at this point. Well, 4,000 onions. I mean, you, you need to have a fairly large crowd in, in order to, to use up 4,000 onions. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, the chefs are smart. The ah. chefs are smart. So they bought the sweet onions that are not keepers, and they processed them. So they either made caramelized onions or onion jam or pickled them. Or did These chefs are smart. They know when things are in season, that's when you buy them and make your signature items and... Um, of course. I, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, I was surprised because one restaurant named our onions on the menu and they were still on the menu, menu and I questioned it and they said, oh, we got it in the freezer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it means taking care of more business here on the farm. Uh, we raise worms and I have to separate the worms from the worm castings. That's always a pleasant spring chore, mm -hmm. but it gives me my fertilizer. Mm -hmm. So it's an important time to do it. And I have the time to do it right now. Do you also sell the worms? I don't like to sell the worms, but people want to buy the worms. So mm -hmm. I have sold a couple of worm farms, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. And uh, I'd much prefer to sell the worm castings. So I set aside, I do my separation of worm castings and dry them, sift them and bag them. And that's what I like to sell. And, and tell me what other value added products you have. Well, we're always inventing things. Uh, so I do a bit of sewing. So I make uh, salad bags. Mm -hmm terry cloth with a pull string cord and it really does work to keep your greens from turning brown so there's that value added i'm constantly canning like i said so i do make onion jam i do make 
fruit jams. We have a lot of berry populations, so I make a lot of berry jams. We have apple trees, so we make cider, sweet cider and hard cider. It's, it's, <laughs> it's changing every month. Mm-hmm. I've put in some fruit trees, so we have that to look forward to in the future. And I have lots of flowers. I have all seasons of flowers. Like I just harvested pussy willows. Do you have pictures that I can share with the listeners and put in the, in the show notes? Oh, sure. Yeah, get, give us a selection of pictures of your farm. Okay. I'm sure people would want to see it. We're pledged organic. We're not big enough to be certified yet, but that may come someday. And we're building soil. Our farm is all hillside, so we're trying to stop erosion. So we're trying not to till. I've got my very first field that is a no-till field. And I don't know. I don't understand that. What? Oh well, most farmers have to use a rototiller to turn over sod and weeds and plant their crops. Mm-hmm. And for annual crops, you do it every year. You turn under the plant stubble and what's left over and plant into that. So years and years of rototilling causes two things to happen on fields like ours, which are hillsides. Um, It causes erosion. So gravity in effect, water coming over the field takes that beautiful topsoil on down Uh. field and off your property or whatever. And if you don't till it or if you do strip, tilling or any combination of thereof you can keep that soil right in place and keep building that soil to add more organic matter so when we when we did our soil testing we found out that's what we were lacking was organic matter and so immediately i started planting clovers and not tilling and to start to start a no-till you till and then improve the soil and then don't till after that so you have to begin somewhere and so we've begun and i'm very happy because the soil that we've built over the past you know seven or eight years is is gorgeous Mm, that sounds wonderful and so when will your seedlings be ready when will people in that in that area be looking to purchase them um Anytime. Like right now, I have, I have onion starts. I have Swiss shard. I grow a rhubarb shard and one called Bright Lights. Um, they're ready to go. I have sweet pea flowers ready to go. And, you know, I start a lot of flowers like petunias and sunflowers and stuff like that. And it's not time for them to be outside yet. So mm-hmm. they're still indoors. But as the weeks, we've already begun, and I have some things for sale. So it starts now Mm -hmm. and continues right through to the 4th of July. Okay. And how do people find Cook Hill Farm? Uh, They can find Cook Hill Farm LLC on Facebook. They can find us in the local phone book by our name and the local phone number. And uh, yeah, we're easy to talk to, easy to find not especially easy to get to because we live off the beaten path kind of you know Mm -hmm. well i'm sure it's worth a trip to to get to you well i'll i'll send some pictures along and you can see i appreciate that i'm thrilled that you you have found this life that obviously fulfills you it warms my heart to hear you speak of it Oh, well, I had a little help getting motivated and energized to do what, exactly what I love. 
a it, woman once upon a time helped me on my journey there. So it's there I go. Sounds like you absolutely found the right place and congratulations. Thanks, Liz. Uh, my thanks to Jean Balamuth for joining me today and telling us the story of her wonderful bounty. I invite everyone to tell me what you've always wanted to try and how you're making the most of this found time. Also, would you please take a moment to fill out a brief survey so I can find out more about you? You'll find it at lizsumner.com survey. I'm Liz Sumner, reminding you to be bold, stay safe, and thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.